Sound Design. How many other industries are there just men? It's not that many. So it's it's really weird that this industry specifically is a is a dude fest. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by writer and podcaster for Sound Girls and associate course director at Full Sail University, Susan Williams. Susan, welcome to Sound Design Live. Thank you, Nathan. I'm so excited to be here again. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> so, Susan, I definitely want to talk to you about your career, and we'll get into some topics related to gender, sexism, and stuff in pro audio. But before I do that, after you get a sound system set up, or um, I don't know if you're setting up a lot of sound systems these days, but when you did, what what is one of the favorite pieces of music you would want to play to kind of get familiar with it? Ah. Uh. I don't do it so often anymore, but when I used to, it, I would play something that was going to be similar to what I was going to be mixing. So when I would do like theater, I would go honestly with stuff like Muse, and I'm not even that huge of a Muse fan, but they have such this like huge presence that I would love playing some of their stuff because it just had a big dynamic range. It just sounded really dramatic. And so I could really like listen to it. And then other times I would go with something really delicate just to like simple, like not overly produced. So I had some of these like Irish folk (laughs) bands, like acoustic Irish folk bands stuff that I would play. That was just really like soft and gentle so I could hear like both sides of it. So Susan, how do you get your first job in audio? Like what was your first paying gig? My first paying gig was actually in high school. I worked at the high school theater. We actually had a legit theater for my high school. Like it had uh, a full sound system. It had lighting. It even had a two story rail system for the, you know, to get the scenery and stuff to fly in and out. So it had like a full legit theater. It was actually the only one in our town. So, <laughs> that I lived in. So we had other, aside from the high school theater stuff, we had other people come in and like rent out the, the auditorium. And so I would work those events. I will tell you that I was mildly scarred by one of the first paying ones that what I did. Happened? It was this weird old, old person, oh, like no. talent show. And this was decades ago. But I very, very strongly remember this like very old man doing this like baby sketch and he was in like a giant like diaper. What? Yeah. So weird. <laughs> so weird. And then you're like, oh God, this is the kind of thing I'm gonna have to do from now on. And like that wasn't the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever worked with, but it was the first weird thing. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And, but doing all that got me scholarships and stuff for college, so it was cool. 
Oh really? Yeah. Okay, so you were able to say like, "Hey, I've done all I've done all this work already." Yeah, Take a I look. got some scholarships from a theater. It wasn't in our town, but it was nearby. So I got a, a scholarship for theater for that, and then went to college for tech theater, and got more scholarships. I was a nerd in high school, so that worked out. <laughs> nice scholarships for nerds. Yep. theater nerds. It, that's uh, special. <laughs> So Susan, I know a lot of stuff has happened in your career, and I, I don't want to go through everything, although that would be fun, it would take a long time. Yeah. I was wondering if we could zoom in on one moment that maybe connects your first job <laughs> in high school with this job you have now at Full Sail University. It's, you know, your career's taken all these twists and turns, but mm-hmm. take us to a moment when you made a big decision, and a decision that really affected your course, and maybe looking back now, you realize really helped you get more of the work that you really love. So something that I very distinctly remember that changed my course in a couple of different ways, but I went to, in college, we had to have an internship. It was part of our degree requirements in order to graduate. So I got a summer internship because summer stock theater was a huge thing, not so much now for obvious reasons with the state of the world, but I, so I moved to sure. California and I did this internship. Where in California? It was in like Tahoe. It was for, Oh, cool. It was really fancy, man. It was beautiful and it was fancy and we were so poor. So <laughs> it was a paid internship, but it paid like this, like sad stipend, which is funny. Cause you were probably the only poor people there. The only poor people for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We we can talk about this more later too, but it was actually really interesting being there because I'm from Florida and I'm from Central Florida, so we have a pretty diverse population here. And when I moved to California in that specific area, there were no people of color at all except for some of our cast members. And so that was kind of alarming. I'd never been in a place that was just white people before. So Yeah, it's surprising to arrive in some of those places, especially in famous cities that you didn't know about in like the Northwest yeah, where you get there and you're like, Oh wow, there's no black people in Portland. Like what's the deal? Nope. Just all whiteies in that part of California. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So that was a surprise. What else? (laughs) That was a surprise. I thought that I would love it. And I was, I was so excited to do summer stock and be, you know, an audio intern and all of this stuff, but I hated it. I hated all of it. I hated living in an apartment with seven other people. I hated not having my own car. I hated the job in general. I hated getting yelled at for missing a cue because literally a mouse was living in the rack behind the console and then climbed onto the console mid-show. And I just had never had to handle that before. And so, you know, that's why you take internships (laughs) to panic and learn from those things. So like all kinds of awful things happen. We had bears come out and we had to cancel a show because there was literally a bear in the area. Like I did learn a lot, but I hated it. And so for that internship, I was like, all right, well, I'm not doing this anymore, but I still have one semester left. So I have to finish and graduate. And I'd been booked on a show on a, on a musical. So like, I was like, after this, I'm done because I'm like, well, great. I just wasted four years of my life getting this degree and I hate every second of it. So I did my last show in college, graduated, and then took a shitty job at a theme park because it's Florida. So (laughs) I took a job as a photographer at a theme park, which is a terrible job. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a bad job. 
Don't do that. <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but it was not in that field. And I was like, okay, we're done. And then like three months went by of me doing that job that kind of sucked and thinking like, oh great, I've completely changed the course of my career. Like, what am I going to do now? I literally have a degree in theater and no way to use it or anything. And a couple months into the new year, because I graduated in December. So a few months into the new year, one of my friends is like, hey, I've been interning at this local theater in Orlando and they really need someone for sound. And we went to college together and I know you did sound. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh. Okay. <laughs> I really need a job that's not this. <laughs> I really need to refocus and, you know, do something. And I missed it. I missed working, but I just hated what I was doing so much before. So I'm like, okay, I'll meet with the sound person there. And, and then I sent a message to my friend and I'm like, hey, if, if this works out, like, you know, I'll bake you a pie you know, something, because I, baking has always been my, like, not depression remedy, but when things are going really poorly, like, I'll bake a lot. Sure, self-care. Totally. And then I give them away because you can't eat all of them. All of them. So she, she freaking forwarded that email with my response to the, the sound person at the theater. And he's like, well, hell, if you're making pies, I'll hire you. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, wow. oh no. Okay. That's how you get the job. That's good. <laughs> so I, I, I accepted and I was his audio tech for as long as he worked at the theater. And then I took over for a little bit after him. And I got back into it. And he was so different as a mentor than the other person that I had for my internship that it was so needed. He was... He was so gentle. He was really smart. He's worked at a lot of pretty cool theaters in in the country since then. And it was just what I needed. I needed that mentor to actually just be nurturing because, totally. you know, if, you, if you're not perfect starting out and who is, you know, having someone who's mean and like telling you how much you suck isn't going to be helpful for some people. Like maybe that motivates other people, but it didn't motivate me. I was just like, well, F it. I'm done with this whole career because of how awful this is. And I couldn't take that like rudeness. So my, you know, this was my third mentor in my career at this point. And he was at the theater and he was so great. Uh, And it kind of revived my interest and my belief in myself that I could do it. That's such a cool story. And one of the things that I'm taking away from it is that it's really hard to separate the conditions that a job is in and like the people and the relationships with the job itself, especially when you've never done it before. And so it totally makes sense that you get thrown into a situation where like maybe one relationship is bad or all of the relationships are bad. And you're like, oh, the job is terrible. Yeah. And then it, it took a, it took a contrary, a contrasting situation for you to be like, oh, wait, actually I am good at this and maybe I could like this. And, and I think we've all had similar situations. Yeah. I'm really thankful. I'll give him a shout out. I don't know if he listens to any of this stuff, but it was, his name was Marshall Simmons and he was the audio tech at the Orlando repertory theater. And he was awesome. He was cool. Thank you, Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Susan, now you work at full sale, you're a course director, you work with a lot of students Yes. Um, you see them going through, uh, you know, a lot of the same mistakes that you did and, and bumping into things and making a mess. So I'm kind of curious if you could pick out maybe one or two trends that you see. What are some of the biggest, most common mistakes you see students making who are, are new to the world of pro audio? 
we get a lot of students. Like there's 30 students in my class this month. And so every month we get like, you know, between 20 to 50 students. And it's been kind of tough seeing what they're doing now. Like what they're doing now online is, is completely different from the mistakes that they were making on campus. So I'm gonna focus on campus and hands-on mistakes because those are so different. The main things that I see very consistently, students of all different backgrounds and hopes and dreams of what they wanna do is that they completely ignore the basics and they go forward and just wanna learn the really cool stuff. So they're jumping ahead. And I know it's it's really tempting to do that because like we have so much amazing and cool technology at our hands. But if you literally can't record one channel properly, then you can't record 50 channels properly, right? You can't mix more than one channel properly. So that is the biggest thing that I see time and time again of them getting kind of overwhelmed or looking too far uh, into the cool stuff and not getting the basics, signal flow, just literally signal flow and then signal to noise ratio and that's it. And so if they can't like capture those two things, then they're not gonna do okay at the rest of it. You know what I mean? And then the, the other huge thing that I see very often, which was the opposite of my problem when I was a student is arrogance. They, they can't record one channel properly in general. And then they have this huge arrogance about them. Like, oh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, an artist and I'm, I'm a recording engineer. And I'm like, you just learned how to touch a console today. I showed you this for the first time. You, you can say that you're that, but that doesn't make it true. So there's this arrogance that is insane. And I had the opposite problem. I had no confidence for like the longest time. So yeah. Just be humble and learn the basics. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just thinking as you're saying that, is that is that partly because the industry <clears throat> is generally unregulated? And so since we can't have a piece of paper that says I'm a doctor, then we feel like our license is our confidence. And so we just try to like pretend and like put on this face of expert since there's no way of proving that I'm an expert. <laughs> Yeah. Like, is that is that what... Yeah. I wonder if that's how most people understand it. Or uh, subconsciously, students are like, well, no, I guess I got to say it's me and this is how I do it. Like, I don't know. That seems like maybe part of the problem. I think there's a lot of like, fake it till you make it. And I don't, I don't think that's always a bad thing because how do you know when you've like made it? That's a different metric for every single person. But I, I think that's doing themselves a disservice and those who hire them. Because if I expect that you can do something, I say, go, go patch the console. Here's a paper. Here's my, here's my patch sheet. And they can't do that. Okay. You got to tell me though, because now you're wasting both our times. Cause I leave you alone for an hour to do that. And now you haven't done it. And now I come back and I'm like, bro, you just wasted an hour of our time <laughs> when you could have just said, can you help me with this? And I would have taken the 10 minutes to help you. Right. So that level of confidence or just being afraid to admit that they aren't sure of themselves. You know, th those are things like just being humble in general and asking questions. I don't know that anyone's ever been pissed off at you asking a question, being genuine about it. Now, if you ask every five seconds a new question, maybe you weren't ready for this. <laughs> but I can also, if I know that's what's up, then I can adapt and help. You know what I mean? And okay. as an educator, yeah. that's literally my job. 
So you have to sure. be real with me because if you lie, then I, I'm like, okay, cool, you can do this. And I'm wondering about knowing the basics. Is there some sort of a metric for that? Because sometimes I think I know the basics. And then like I, I just interviewed Jason Robney for the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I looked on his YouTube channel and he has a three-hour, three-part series about the decibel. And I was like, shit. Three I hours? I knew some things about the decibel. <laughs> so <laughs> so when, when do you know? Do you guys have some sort of handbook that's like, here's the basics, here are the things you need to know how to do, and here's how to do it properly? I guess we do, because every class has its like core learning principles. You know what I mean? Like objectives, core mm-hmm. learning objectives. That's our, our jargon for that. So if you meet those metrics, then in theory, you have absorbed that information. So if you can sure. do these things for each class. So yeah, I mean, can you can you properly record one channel? Is your signal to noise ratio okay? Are there issues? Is it quiet enough? Did you do this thing properly? Cool, you can do that thing. Can you design a system, you know, for whatever size venue? Can you do that and it works? Cool, you can do that. But it's gonna be so different for every individual person. Because the systems that I designed for theater are a bajillion times different than what my colleagues did for concerts and bands and live sound. And that's completely different than broadcast audio and what uh, some of my other friends did for sports. You know what I mean? So those metrics, there's no generic one that fits to tell you, you know what the hell you're doing. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> there, it isn't. And I don't think any of us are going to know what the hell we're doing with every single thing because it's impossible it's so it's so vastly different for each industry and each thing that you're doing yeah audio is very specialized for you know down to the company that you work with but also like i don't know the city that you're in and the industry that you're in and you know the the words change specifically how things are done gets changed but but i appreciate what you're saying and i I feel like i could get a lot out of going to full sale if i do these two things of you know focusing on the core objectives Uh, and asking for help seriously like we are underutilized and especially now like i have every instructor on that was on campus now including our lab specialist all have open office hours we have we're doing workshops on campus now because we can't have classes on campus and one or two students if any are showing up to them Mm. and i get that you know, there's safety issues or maybe they're not in town anymore, but they're not taking, our students in general are not taking advantage of what we're trying to give them. We are so accessible more than we ever were. Cause like, I don't have to go on campus and maintain my equipment. I don't have to go on campus and like reset lab spaces cause we haven't used them in months. You know what I mean? So like I'm sitting here, you can literally call or email me at any time and I'm gonna be able to respond, you know? So I. I think that they're missing a lot of opportunities with having such accessibility to their teachers right now. Yeah, well, I was sort of wondering if we were going to get into this, but I'm curious, like from a for-profit institute of education, I'm wondering what you guys are telling people. Are you telling people, or what is the conversation around whether or not it's a good idea to invest your time and money in an audio career? And the idea that I'm thinking of is that, you know, when we first got into this back in... What was it, May or March? It was March when we closed uh, campus. Okay, so back when we got into this in March, there was a a big energy I felt from a lot of people like, cool, I'm going to use this time 
for self-improvement. And there are a lot of people like, cool, I'm going to do all the webinars. Yep. And I remember several of students in my community were like, they were like listing their daily process of yeah. all the learning they were doing. Like on Mondays, I do system optimization study. And on Tuesdays, I practice mixing and all this stuff. And now we're, you know, five or six months into it. <laughs> Wait, are we that far? I'm losing track of time. It's been Now we're a long deeper time. into it. And I, okay. Now we're deeper into it. And I feel like people are losing their steam. There's more people that I'm talking to now who are like, don't even want to talk about it. They're like, oh, no, I'm not working, so I can't help you. And I'm like, well, you could be practicing, but nobody wants to do that. And and so I wonder if you're seeing that kind of energy and like what what is the conversation right now among your colleagues on this topic of, you know, what I guess what the future holds? Should we should we be optimistic? Should we be like powering through with self-improvement and education to be ready for the shows that could pop up tomorrow? I think. Oh, so it's tricky because I can't speak for the entire, (laughs) I can't speak for the entire school because there's a lot of other programs and stuff that they have, like they have cloud networking and they have, you know, animation and all this other stuff. So for our department, at least, I have felt a little justified in pushing video production to our students because I, I started to feel like a fraud a little bit. Like, yeah, live sound. I spent my career doing that and like film sound and stuff like that. Now that crew, that industry is temporarily dead, which sucks because I miss going to the movies. I don't know about you, but oh my God, sure. <laughs> I, I miss so many of those things. So I felt like a fraud because, you know, the stuff that I'm teaching and I really care about is temporarily gone. I don't think it's forever gone, but I have felt a little bit more justified on the other side where I you know, teaching video production and how important that has become because we have all, all of a sudden, you know, everybody. So not just teachers, but the church that I work for and sports and I don't know, every company ever is suddenly having to do all of this stuff remotely and video production as individuals. So now you don't have the camera guy and the audio recordist and these people in your house to get good stuff for you, you figure it out on your own. And so some like live TV shows, like, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live is kind of hit or miss for me. And I think it is for everybody. But they started doing their SNL at home where they sent them like maybe microphones and cameras and stuff, but they were producing their own content literally in their apartments. And I thought that was pretty cool because now these people who are literally just actors are figuring it out. And so I think maybe learning if you're sick of learning or you're just done with all of the stuff that you've been doing, like system tuning. There is only so much that I can stomach or sit and pay attention to of these like really technical things. So maybe instead of doing that, think about what the future is going to be and what new standards we need to make because it's not going to be the same for a while. Have you seen any of the pictures of the like concerts they're doing, the European concerts? I don't remember, I think it was Germany. Mm-hmm. Where they have mm-hmm. like the little like six inch or six foot like squares. Yes, I saw one on Facebook this morning. Yeah, Omar posted that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, is that what things are going to be like? I don't, I don't think so. They're having a lot of drive-in concerts and stuff like that. I don't know. No, but I think the question you're posing is really important. Like, what are ways that I could potentially diversify? Like, ooh, video, gross. But yeah, that's where some work is now. Yeah. You know? With all, with all of these online meetings and stuff. Yeah. I would say so focus that's, on... That's a really good point. 
what you think it could be or figure out like think brainstorm what you can do differently because we're all sick of being at home and we're all sick of you know looking at the same kind of content like right now we're talking over zoom which i use every single day and (laughs) i don't know about you but this interface is getting really old and it kind of got really old fast, you know? So what else can we do? What other things can we develop that are is better than what we've been having for the past several months? And I think that energy is better spent, especially if you've already gone through all of the educational stuff that you can handle for right now. Innovate. Yeah. Because I'm not smart enough to build apps and software and stuff. I have no idea how any of that stuff works. But if you're one of those people, like freaking innovate, make something cooler for us so that we can use that instead. (laughs) So Susan, at this year's Live Sound Summit, your presentation was called The 5%, Steps You Can Take to Balance the Audio Industry. We've talked about this in the past, but I want to cover it again for for people who haven't heard it before. And it just feels like, you know, an important topic that will continue to be important for the rest of our lives. So just to get into it and kind of remind people, what is The 5%? The 5% is a percentage that a couple of different organizations, specifically AES and Soundgirls, have decided is kind of the number of uh, how many women are working in the audio industry. So it's kind of a loose number. It could be as much as like 7 or 10%, but this is pretty much out of, you know, surveys and stuff, what they figured out. So that number is disproportionately low, obviously, compared to the number of guys working in the industry. And so there's a number of organizations that are researching why and then trying to change that because why? <laughs> like, why is it 5%? That's that's insane. That's lower than female truck drivers or like women construction workers. It's crazy. Really? Okay. It is. And I, I have all of the graphs to... <laughs> I did a lot of research on that. Like, no way. It's not lower than that. No, seriously. There are right. more women truck drivers. That's not a traditionally wow. woman career either. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this this is not good for anyone. You know, like I don't like this being a guy and, you know, women don't like this who want to see more women. Like, and, you know, it, it just, I think everyone easily, pretty easily agrees that it benefits everyone to have a more diverse, more sort of a balanced workplace you know, where you have a better flow of ideas and just general better community. I don't know. Do you want, can you, I feel like I got into a topic that I don't really know how to talk about that well, but I'm just realizing that when I go to work with, sometimes when I show up at work or to work on a show and the crew is more diverse in some way, it just feels better, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know. Do you, do you know what I mean? Some people might like working in that like kind of echo chamber where they just see a bunch of people who look the same as them and have the same ideas as them. But a lot of us weren't raised that way. And especially me being from central Florida, like we are more diverse than a lot of people might realize because they only go to the touristy parts. Like we have a whole like, little Saigon area in downtown Orlando, you can get some really great Vietnamese food, you know? So we have a pretty diverse culture here. So that's only beneficial for for the first part of culturally having more than just white men in an area. The food is better, number one. And then I think the standards, (laughs) (laughs) the standards for things are better. Like, I think that in my experience and in a lot of other women women's experience that I talk to, guys work harder 
when there's a woman there doing a similar job because they almost mm. get this like manly urge. I don't I don't know if there's like a scientific reason, but I feel like I've seen it where they get the, like this manly urge like, oh, if that chick is able to push that console or get that console off the truck by herself, then I need to show how strong I am. And that's only good because now uh, you're working harder because I am working harder. And so it, that kind of benefits everyone. So it's almost like using the male ego to for good <laughs> instead of for uh, just <laughs> ugh. So uh, I, I enjoy that. And then it's also odd if you look at other industries, like how many other industries are there just men? It's not that many. So it's, it's really weird that this industry specifically is a, is a dude fest. I mean, you go, to, you go to college and it's a pretty good mix, right? You even go, you go to the library and it's equal men and women, right? You go to a, a store and it's pretty equal. So it's, it's really weird for this to be so disproportionately male. Okay, so I'm convinced. I want to help. So is there anything that I... I mean, you talked about entities that are doing research and trying to, to like take action to restore some balance, but is there anything that I can do? Like, What's one step I could take to help? Hiring women. I mean, going out of your way to find a woman to do a project with you, to hire her, to pay her, and to lift her up. Having me on your podcast, having a number of women in the Live Sound Summit, those are all great steps. So you're already doing those, which is awesome. So from that, like just seeking out women to do jobs that men can do. And so a huge part of this industry is, as in many others, is networking, right? So I have gotten most of my jobs you know, from other people that I knew either recommending me or thinking like, hey, I need this person, let's call her. Or I worked with her before and, and I know she can do this, stuff like that. So we, with more exposure and more allies like you and like our friend Omar from... AV Educate. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> from AV Educate. <laughs> he's a... Unfriended. Oh God. Omar, <laughs> forgive me. He works in South Florida and he does a lot of great, really cool video stuff. But by, by making those allies, those are what really push us into that network. And then we can, as women, get more jobs and just be more visible. So that's, that's it. And just that's all that you have to do, really. I mean, it's not like it's a difficult thing, but the excuse that we hear a lot is that they can't find women to hire. And I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, well, this is a great segue into maybe taking a peek behind how Live Sound Summit was produced, because the first year, it was all white dudes, and several people came to me while it was going on and said, hey, you should try, you know, get some more women and some more diverse people for the next one. And I was like, sure, 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 I'll do that. And then the next year, I invited a bunch of women, a bunch, like, let's say six, that I could get referrals for. And... None of them could make it, but nobody saw that. So then the next year, I think yeah. it was all dudes again. No, one woman. I got Darren to come. And, and, and then I heard the same thing, and I was telling them, well, I invited people, but they weren't available. And, you know, that's not what people want to hear. And yeah. so the perception is still that there's no women there. And so then this year, I just had to push a lot harder. And so I think it is more work, but the big payoff 
is really just getting new insights and new ideas from people that are outside of your normal networks. And so this year I really pushed and I was like, okay, I'm going to invite, I just have to invite a lot more women. And I know 12 doesn't sound like a lot, but like, you know, I'm sending personal emails to them, doing follow-ups. Like it's a lot of, it feels like a lot of work for me to not just reach out to people that I already know. So, and then the funny thing was that then we got into quarantine and then all of a sudden everyone was available. (laughs) Right. And so then I just said yes to everyone. And then Live Sound Summit ended up being five days instead of two days. Okay. So that's sort of behind the scenes, number one, that it did take more work and pushing outside and like really like following up with people like, please come, please come, please come to get people that I didn't just already know. Yeah. So this year we had three times as many women and I was really happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. It takes more work than just doing the default. Like it's easy. It's easy to find a bunch of guys. It's the, that's totally the easy thing. So you put in the effort and it, I think it paid off. I was really excited to see the lineup of women that, that you had on there. Good. Yeah. And I heard that from a lot of people, but you know, the, the thing always needs to grow. And so the, the next thing that I thought we might get into is just talking about this really painful incident of one person who was really upset about, well, I don't know what they were set up. I can only tell you what, what they did. So there was one person who decided to kind of stage a one-person war against me and Live Sound Summit. And it was really strange for me, just like this, I feel like I'm just kind of a nobody trying to like do little interesting audio education things online. And they were acting like I was this big corporate structure that needed to be torn down. So Uh, What happened was they emailed me and said, you're racist and the event's racist and you only have white men, which is totally not true. But I realized that a lot of people on the panel who are not American and not white potentially look white. And so that's when I started realizing a couple of things. Oh, so then the other important part of the story is that they also emailed everyone else who, who who was a panelist on Live Sound Summit and told them to you know, abandon the event and that, you know, I was a racist and so on. And so I had to then hear from all of the teachers who were teaching at Live Sound Summit that they were getting emails from this person and explain to them, you know, what what was my response to that? And so I just wanted to chat with you about this for a few minutes because I felt like if there was anyone that might have something to say about it, it was you. And you, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording already. And you, you know, immediately pointed out that, you know, Yes, we can talk about it, but also recognizing that we're both two white people talking about this issue. And so it's not the same as having even a more diverse group of people to, to speak to this issue. But I just wanted to share that like this thing happened and this is what's going on in the world. And two, I think my main two takeaways are, number one, I am really responsible for how the thing is perceived on the outside as well as what's going on on the inside. And so I pitch to you this idea that, you know, what if there were a thousand women or a thousand people of color, you know, working behind the scenes, but that's not what you see on the outside. And so I sort of need to manage the perception of the thing as well as, you know, pushing again, pushing farther, like, okay, this year I pushed to get more women and next year I got to push to get, you know, people from other countries, more uh, diverse backgrounds and just, you know, a more diverse panel overall. So sorry for the long monologue, (laughs) but I haven't really talked about this with anyone except for my wife. So 
now that I'm done with all of that, I don't really have a question for you, but but can you say anything about your experience, you know, being a panelist on Live Sound Summit and, and sort of other events maybe you've taken part in and maybe you've seen some similar sentiments? I feel very special that you wanted to talk to me about it. We... I, I didn't get an email from that person, so I'm really glad because I think I would have been pretty pissed off because I saw the effort that you made to diversify and there were people from other countries and it wasn't like just a bunch of white American guys. Not that there's anything wrong with white American guys. I like white American guys, but I, I can see how a lot of people, specifically white people, are more hypersensitive about diversity right now because it's a hot topic right now. And I know that people of color have had this issue their entire lives of feeling invisible or left out or whatever. And they're aware of it, but they're also sort of used to it, which is awful. But that's why right now it's like a thing. That's why that person felt the need to like reach out and attack you. There's so many other things that they could have done with their energy, but that's what they chose to do. Did you know them? I didn't ask you that before. Did you, you didn't know this person, No, right? I mean, the first thing I did is look up to see if it was a real person. Yeah. Because I thought maybe it was just, I don't, I don't know, like a fake. I don't know what to say. But I, I get emails every day that are like weird marketing or spam things. So, yeah. you know, you always got to like kind of look out for that. So, yeah, it is a real person. And okay. I did just check. And I, I had several back and forth with them because they were obviously really upset. And I yeah. was like trying to, I was trying to, you know, at the same time be a, do good customer service yeah, and like listen and not be too reactive, but then also get some information because I've discovered that many times you see the tip of the iceberg from one person and you yeah. realize that there's like loads of other people feeling the same way, but just who aren't speaking up. And so it's mm-hmm. good to like listen to those things come up. Did you find um, that with this situation? So yes. Well, in a way. So let's say this last year, Maybe I got two emails from people saying, hey, you should, I would love to see more women. And I, and I said, great, thank you. And then this year, I probably got twice as many. So maybe I got four or five emails saying either I, you should have more women or you should do things differently in some way. And just t- to make one suggestion to everyone out there, whoever feels the need to reach out to anyone And so I'm trying to avoid from making complaints, but this is going to be like my one soapbox moment that I realized as being on the, because I complain a lot to other people when I don't like their product or their event and and I'll let them know. And I realize now being on the receiving end of that, it feels, it feels hurtful, but it also doesn't feel very helpful to have someone just say, you suck and your thing sucks. Yeah, that's never a helpful comment. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't realize that until one person emailed me one time and said, I think you should have more, I can't remember even what it was. I think you should have more women. And here are five women who I think you should interview on the podcast. And I was like, what? Great. What? You're brilliant. Like, this is amazing. Like, who reaches out and criticizes and then makes a suggestion So I don't know why I didn't realize that that was so different, but that is what, when people don't like something, that's what they're doing most of the time. So if you really care about something and you're not just like complaining just to bitch about something and because you're annoyed, like, you know, make a suggestion. That's so much more helpful. So because that's what's going on, right? When you say there's not enough women at your thing and then the people are saying to you, oh, we couldn't find any. 
like you know, uh, yeah. that's a perfect moment to be like, hey, here are 5,000. Here's this whole group of sound girls that, you know, yeah, sorry. Okay, off the soapbox. Go no, ahead. No, totally. <laughs> like, we all we all love to complain about things when we can't, right? Like, it's my favorite thing to angry tweet at a company because, like, they didn't put avocado on my sandwich or whatever. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. But... In in these situations, like you are one person essentially, and you have people that help you, but it's mostly you who is putting on this huge event, and you have this podcast, and it's just it's you, and you're doing it because you're passionate. So to be so harsh and judgmental sucks, and it also tells me that they have never had to. Maybe these people have never had to make something themselves, because then you really start to look inward and you're like okay yes I do suck great I you've confirmed every fear that I have with my life but when you actually give that peer feedback of like okay this isn't what I expected from you I think you can do better here are ways that you can do better in the future that's a tactic that we use in in our classes on how to give peer feedback you can either do a happy sandwich where you say this is something that's bothering or you're really great at this this is the thing you need to do. But I also think you're doing this pretty okay too. Like those things are so much more effective as, because we're human, you're a human, you're not a corporation, you know? <laughs> um, just yelling at you isn't gonna be productive because then that's just hurtful. And I, I totally feel that. We've gotten, uh, I co-host the Sound Girls podcast and we've gotten emails also of like judging our recordings. And we've talked about this before we we started recording here, like mm-hmm. I can't control what other people are doing. I can't control if someone's having construction done on their house that day and they didn't want to reschedule. <laughs> like I can't really control that. I can just try to edit that out or not share that podcast. So I mean, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that no one sees. So I, I can tell you what we've done with the Sound Girls podcast is made a very conscious effort. So we collectively rewrote the sound girls mission statement we re-recorded that and have been placing it in the new version into podcasts we have made a very strong effort to highlight women of color and put those podcasts ahead of other people i feel weird about that sometimes because i want i don't want them to think like we're doing this just because we feel like we have to does that make sense Mm -hmm. um You know, and just be like, oh, well, they're trying too hard. I don't think you can try too hard anymore. I think we have to do the harder thing. I think we have to seek out people of color, and it's not that hard to find. Women who do live sound who are black, that's not that hard. It's maybe hard if you close your eyes and you're just like, I know like seven guys that do live sound. Like, then (laughs) then it's hard. But if you literally just like open your eyes for five seconds, you're going to see all of these amazing people who are doing such cool things and they also happen to be black and happen to be women. Like, I mean, there's a, there's so many different people out there. And so when people are judging you and you look in, inwardly and you're like, okay, I can do better. I can, because we can all do better. Then you just do that, but it'll, it'll never be enough. And we, we talked about that before. <laughs> you could have had, like you said, <laughs> a thousand, people of color of all different genders working behind the scenes and no one would ever know. So you do kind of have to, unfortunately, I guess, advertise it. Like, no, look, we're, 
we're woke over here. <laughs> this is really helpful though. Like I, I didn't think about like having a mission statement, you know, and like trying to be really public about who you are instead of letting people just make whatever judgments they want to make. And so I'm making the assumption that, Hey, I know I'm a good guy. So you must assume that I'm a good guy. Like, don't, why, why, like, we don't have to leave everything up to, you know, hoping that people will give us the benefit of the doubt. You know, we can yeah. try to put our, put a sign out or put a, put our best foot forward with that. that I that think says, it's expected. Like, hey, here's what's important to me. It's expected now. That's why okay. every website that you go to has a statement about Black Lives Matter or about whatever hot topic is. I'm, I'm not saying that Black Lives Matter is only a hot topic because I care a lot about that. I went to the protests here in Orlando and I try really hard to highlight people of color and do what I can because we have this voice, right? Like you have a podcast, I co-host a podcast. We have to use that for highlighting and pushing people forward because they deserve it, mm-hmm. you know? Because there's some really cool people and they deserve to be heard too. But it's like, you can't assume that people think you're okay anymore. You can't, you can't just assume that strangers or even acquaintances are accepting that you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, maybe to wrap this up, Susan, I just want to say, like, I, I think people should know the doors are open. You know, like, you want to hear feedback from people, and I want to hear feedback from people, because you and I are both doing things to just try and help people. Like, you're teaching to try and help students. You're doing a podcast to, you know, try to spread information and push people forward, and I'm doing the same thing. And we're not just doing that for ourselves. You know, it's fun for us to produce, but, you know, we're doing this to... to I started Live Sound Summit to see, like, does this help people? And people showed up, and they said it helped, so I did it yeah. again. So. I'm building the thing with you, you know, for We're you. making the goddamn effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see a change and you want to see something different, like I'm all for it. And so I think it's important to say that too, because it's like people don't say anything. They don't say anything. They don't say anything. And then it boils over and they explode and they're like, ah, I hate you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's move on. <laughs> Susan, what is one book that has been immensely helpful to you? I have, oh man, hold on, let me put it up. I have a book that we use in our classes that I love. It is a textbook. It is a textbook that we found after we wrote the class. And we were like, oh my God, this is exactly what we just wrote. And it kind of was validating because, you know, then we were like, oh, we do know what we're talking about. And this book kind of confirms it. Okay, so one of my favorite books, and this is a textbook because we talked earlier about me being nerdy. This one is called Video Production 12th Edition. Isn't that fantastic that I couldn't remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Video Production 12th Edition. 12th Edition. Hot topic. Super, super difficult. But this one is really, really cool. And we use this for for one of the classes that I, I helped write. And it goes through disciplines and techniques. And this thing goes over cast and crew. What are relationships between the director and a camera operator? What are the relationships between a floor manager and a producer? And so it goes through all of that. It goes through script writing, how to do, how to make a rundown, how to, how to write blocking for cameras. And then it goes into directing video switchers, field audio, and lighting and graphics and editing and like it covers absolutely everything and it covers it in a really cool way that 
is approachable. It doesn't read like a really tough textbook. And it has a ton of like beautiful pictures in it. And the best part is that it's all online. So like, God, when I was okay. in college, you would spend hundreds of dollars on textbooks. <laughs> now sure. uh, you can get them online for free, which is amazing. Oh, cool. But this is my favorite my favorite book and it's not written by someone I, I know and I know some people that have written some cool books but and I'm not diminishing them I just have re- referenced this more than any other book for education purposes in the past like three years nice Susan do you listen to podcasts I listen to some but okay. I <laughs> I want to know like one or two podcasts that you have to listen to every time they come out I listen to episodes I am not like podcast subscriber where I listen to every single one. So I'm kind of bad at that. And to be honest, I listen to a hell of a lot less now that I don't drive as much. So that I've gotten out of that routine because if I'm not driving, I'm not listening as often. But I have been listening to Samantha Potter's Church Sound podcast. That one I've been interested in. We interviewed her with Sound Girls, but also working in a church environment which was super new to me this year, uh, that helped me because I don't know if you've ever worked with houses of worship, but they're like super weird compared to any other kind of production. Sure, a little bit. And then the Rody Free, uh, no, yeah, Rody Free, Free Radio. Radio, and then the Signal to Noise podcast. So, and I, I don't, I won't listen to every episode of those. I kind of re- read them, and then when there's someone that I know or a topic that like grabs me, then I'll pick that one up. But um, sure. those are the ones that I. I listen to more than I used to. Okay, Susan, where is the best place for people to follow your work? I have a blog with Soundgirls. So you can go to soundgirls.org. And it's usually, they have like a front page scrolly part where they have like the new blogs, like posts. And then we also have our Soundgirls podcast, which you can find on literally any of the podcast outlets that you like. You can search for it and we are on all of them. Awesome. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Sound Design. This episode was edited by Noah Feldman. It features music from an artist named Shane Ivers. You can find more at silvermansound.com. Sound Design Live is supported by Ellis, Learn Stage Lighting, Joel Sinqui, Bob, Pedro, Martin, Rody Free Radio, Scott Ross, Voyager Sound, John, Dave, DC Sound Op, Nicholas, Kuba, Chris, and Terry. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive. <laughs>